Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. Today, we have Justin Marty on. Justin is a healthcare attorney with a focus on M&A transactions, but he has a very unique backstory in that he co-founded and sold a $50 million dental group to private equity before becoming a lawyer. That's going to be interesting. Justin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ross. So this is an absolutely fascinating story that you probably are the only person in the United States with a story like this. <laughs> You're not a dentist, but you started a DSO or not a DSO. You, well, you started a dental group that you sold to a DSO and then you became a lawyer. So kind of walk us through that whole process. I don't know what I was thinking with the transition into being a lawyer. Um but yeah, so I was, I mean, we go back 20 years coming out of college and was in Boston and I was working in, you know, patient financing, working with one of the healthcare financing companies, working with dentists, doctors, physicians, uh, and ended up getting approached by this one, you know, team, brother, sister team, dentist slash, you know, business owner team, really small uh, clinics in, in the outskirts of Boston but they wanted to grow the brand, you know, they had kind of this vision and I don't know, as an entrepreneur, I guess, you know, at heart. So quit the day job and gave up the company car and all the things that you're supposed to do. And we started a practice in, in Worcester, Massachusetts. So like, you know, not the greatest part of town, you know, built everything by Ikea, you know, by hand. And I'm, I'm like 27 years old, 26. I'm hiring doctors. I'm working at the front desk. I'm trying to figure this whole thing out. So it was a wild ride, but you know, so the, what, what made them just, what made them pick you? What made them say he has the it factor? He's not a dentist. How is he going to help us grow this? Yeah. I, so myself and a few other folks joined on and I think they just were like looking for that entrepreneurial spirit, you know, and I, I, I had been coaching their staff for a while. I mean, for a couple of years, I was teaching them how to sell treatment, you know, how to utilize patient financing as a tool. And so it was Capital One at the time, like a care credit competitor, you know, so so it was just kind of like getting really intimate with their staff and their team. And and I think there was just this synergy like, hey, let's go grow this thing bigger. So you join the team with a couple of other people and you guys start growing it. Talk about that. Yes. You know, I hang a shingle. We used to open a practice. Again, we were, we were very fortunate, worked hard. It worked out. We opened more locations. I relocated. I'm in Connecticut now. And I started opening locations across Connecticut, uh, Massachusetts, some other people, like I said, some other partners joined on. And, you know, 10, 11 years later, we had 45 locations across the Northeast, uh, just became a well-oiled machine. And so for some reason, along the lines, I was like, you know, I didn't have enough going on. And I'm like, well, let me let me look into law school with no intention, really, on practicing. It was actually originally going to be an MBA. And somehow I got this idea of a law, law degree. No plan to really practice per se, like just, you know, I'm a nerd, wanted to keep learning. And, um, you know, it, it kind of all came together, right? I graduated, we ended up exiting the company, we sold it in a PE deal. 
And, you know, it was like, oh, now my phone's ringing with all these docs, like who used to work for us saying, help me, you know, open locations, help me buy practices. Like, how did you transition? How do you sell? And so, you know, it kind of made sense to step into this role. And now this is exactly what I do all day is like talk to these docs. So you help with M&A, but you do more than that now as a lawyer. What all specifically do you do? So we do a lot of M&A transactions. Like you said, we do a lot of a lot of DSO um, or MSO if it's, you know, we do some stuff outside of dentistry uh, structuring. So like, you know, we're helping. I, I've got a client who has 15 practices right across, you know, the Northeast and they're all fragmented and there's different partners in each sec, uh, each, you know, office. So we're kind of bringing it all together, building out that true DSO, like putting service agreements in place so that now, you know, they can go to market hopefully in a couple of years and they're like, you know, built out the right way and not kind of. So helping structure their business where it's not like duct tape together, basically. Absolutely. Which we, I mean, that's how we started. Like with our group, we were so fragmented and, you know, a lot of work went in when we exited a lot of legal work um, went into putting it together the right way. So how do you help with clients who are selling? Because as you know, they might work with a broker. They might work with an M&A guy, an M&A firm. Where do you come in? You know, it's I always talk to people about like building your team, you know, have your strong, your M&A people, your CPA, your broker, uh, your attorney, hopefully. And so we're we're a part of the team. I mean, we want to obviously we get the fun job of going through, you know, the 80 page purchase agreement or the 100 page purchase agreement and like going through the fine print negotiating deal terms. It really is a collaborative effort, though. I mean, I lean a lot on the brokers and the CPAs when we're negotiating like the allocation, the goodwill, all that fun stuff. You know, that's that's kind of where we come in. What do you think about, and I know this is going to be a fun one, what do you think about the do-it-yourself dentist trying to handle this on their own? Uh, and be, be nice, as nice as you can. It's a, lo- it's a loaded question for sure. I don't know, man. I mean, people, obviously, you know, there's no requirement to go out and hire a lawyer. You can tell a lot of times when... In fact, we've done deals where we represent one side and the other side maybe doesn't have a lawyer. And I swear we end up like doing more lawyer, like explaining stuff to the other side so that they kind of get it. It's like a different ballgame. And I think, you know, there's there's so much nuance that goes in these deals and like liability and and like pieces that, again, I didn't even know till I got into this. Even I had this big DSO with my partners. I had no idea about all the little things that, you know, we could be at risk for. And in fact, I was very like anti-lawyer because I'm like, oh, they just ran on your parade and they, you know, they're just telling you all the negative things that can happen. But now I've seen it. So if you DIY it, um, you know, it makes me a little nervous. Well, you have to realize, and not everyone thinks of it this way, when you explain it to them, they kind of, the light bulb goes off. It's more often than not, this is the one and only transaction of a doctor's life while a DSO is doing this once a week or more. Right. Right. So while they're probably not inherently evil people, they are going to negotiate terms to their advantage. Absolutely. Now, do you do a lot of doctor or doctor transaction work? We do. I'd say we do. It's like 50-50 doc to doc versus, you know, doc selling to a DSO. Okay. And I guess what are you seeing out there? You know, I mean, because you're kind of in the trenches every day seeing this type of stuff. What are the biggest mistakes that you see doctors making? Besides not hiring an attorney. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the number one. No, it's honestly, it's they focus and I get it, right? I've sold a business. You, they, everyone focuses on that 
that bottom line, you know, the carrot dangling in front of you, you know, my friend got 5 million or 10 million. That's what I want. And that's great. But it's like, what's, what, are, what's the real number, you know, how, it, how, how attainable is that? Right. Cause there's going to be an earnout component. You're going to get some cash at, at closing. You're going to have to work to get, you know, hit some numbers. You're probably going to get equity. What's that equity really worth? So I think, you know, the DSOs will hang some big carrots in front of people, um, which is exciting, but like, you've got to dissect it and really figure out like, okay, how you know realistic is it that I can hit that number? How much am I walking away with today? So yeah, that's, that's hands down the number one without even, you know, doing any diligence. They'll just kind of say, Hey, these guys are giving me X. They're giving me Y I'm going in that direction. How many times do you see or experience somebody wanting to go cheap because they don't want to pay the fee, whatever the fee is and not realizing that they would earn a multiple of that fee by having a professional at their side. Yeah, again, I mean, I'm partial clearly, but you know, I've I've seen folks who didn't want to go with us because of our fee. You know, we work on a flat fee model, and this is all we do. So, you know, we believe there's a certain value there. But I've seen plenty of you know clients or, or non-clients, I guess, go in a different direction and use kind of the family attorney who does you know divorce law and real estate and all that and. It's just, it's a very different, I would never go into court and, uh, you know, look to look to litigate a case, just not my thing. So we stay in our lane. I think people leave a lot of chips on the table if you don't find that like specialist, just like you guys, right? Like this is what you do. You you have a very niche practice area. And I think people leave a lot of opportunity uh, on the table when they don't find like the specialist. How often you see, because like you said a minute ago, it's very easy for a seller to get caught up on the multiple. And I think what I've seen is private equity is kind of taking advantage of that. And they'll tell you you're you're getting a multiple or they'll give you a multiple, but they'll structure or in financially engineer the deal where it really isn't a 10 X, more like eight and a half X, whether it's because they calculate your EBITDA in a less than favorable way for you. And you just don't understand. They don't understand how, how it's, how it's happening um, or what's happening. Do you see that happen a lot? I do. And I don't want to paint the DSOs to be the evil empire, but, you know, they definitely, they, they have a job to, you know, get out there and acquire great practices. And, and again, they, they can excite people with the multiple and you're so right. Like, it's like this, like game of who got the biggest multiple and, you know, everyone's talking, I got 10, I got eight, I got 12. But you're absolutely right. Like, what are you really getting at the end of the day? You know, like cash at close, that's big equity if it's a strong company great but like what are they really valuing your your multiple and it's amazing because i'll see lois from different dso's come across and the multiples can just be like wildly different you know and i think they're each justified and how they figure it out but it is very very interesting that like you know they're I, I put only so much value on the multiple i'm more like right, what are you really getting who are you partnering with you know what does that look like yeah i mean there's a lot of you know obviously the the or the what I call the unicorn and fairy dust on the back end, which obviously a lot of that comes to fruition, but a lot of it doesn't come to fruition. How do you help clients navigate what's real and what's not real from that perspective? I feel like we wear a lot of the therapist hat sometimes. And I, you know, and I have to like, we're cautiously, cautiously optimistic. And I try to like really tell the doc, like, let's look back, right? If you might have this tremendous earnout. But like, let's not overcommit either. You know, um, I understand that 
if you commit to this number and you hit that, you're going to make like some wild, you know, wild income. But let's look back, like, what did you do the past three years, right? And what is your run rate? And like, let's be realistic. And, you know, we kind of hash it out. And I don't always want to like rain on their parade. But I just don't want to put them in a position where they call me a year later. And they're like, you know, I can't, I didn't hit my earn out. I'm not making any money. Like, how do I get out of this agreement? Um, which I've seen happen, you know, and it, it it's like, you know, it's not a fun, uh, a fun thing when the doctor is not in like a, a good position. So I think, being a little bit of uh, an advocate, but also, you know, like trying to trying to be realistic, hear out their concerns and put them in a good position to, you know, succeed. Well, it is a little bit of a marriage, at least short term, because I've heard people, stories of people getting a crazy multiple and then 90 days after sale, they'd quit because it was such a toxic environment. Yeah, absolutely. I have a doc who just, uh, it's sad, who just reached out to us. He closed like eight, nine months ago and he's like, not happy in the position he's in and it's it, you, you just look back and like man like did we miss something or you know is it is it just not a good partnership obviously relationships are hard and um you know divorce rates are, are what they are for a reason so um you know we try to avoid that when we can so what do you see happening in the dso market today as you've probably seen there's a lot of like tension right now right and people are wondering what's happening recession, not a recession, you know, are we, are we tightening our belts? Are we aggressive? I've sensed a little bit of tightening the belts with a lot of DSOs. You know, I've sensed that multiples, you know, some folks are like, they've come down, you know, I think, I think people have just gotten a little more realistic. I think a lot of DSOs went on a spending spree right after COVID or a little pre COVID and maybe it didn't work out totally as they hoped. So I think a lot of, a lot of groups are just being, you know, more, the diligence is a little tougher. Um, I do feel like deals are taking a bit longer to close, which is certainly stressful for a seller. Like is this thing ever going to happen? Um, so the, the, it's, it's, I feel like there's a lot of tense kind of energy and I still see deals happening and people are, you know, transacting and, and happy, but, um, seems like it's just a little slower, a little more cautious. I have heard that the industry environment has definitely created some challenges and there's been a you know, about a dozen or so recaps that never happened because of that. And so right. it definitely is an interesting market from, you know, if you're if you're putting leverage on anything, it definitely creates some some interesting dynamics. Right. Right. So explain in detail, you know, how you're going to help somebody you work with. Like explain, okay, I need an attorney. Okay, he's going to charge me X amount of hours. He, oh, he's going to look, he's going to read an 80 page contract. Is it really worth X? Explain actually what you're doing for people. So it starts, I mean, uh, you know, to, to, to really kind of like harp on that partner position that we take. It really starts like at LOI. Uh, you know, a lot of times a broker brings us in post LOI, which is always a little tricky because now I feel like even though it's non-binding, we're like, well, you committed to that. Now we have to negotiate, you know, against that. Um, if we can come on early, we can figure out like, all right, what are your goals? Like, how do we get you there? and keep you legally protected. That's step one. Um, you know, then we negotiate the, the deal terms throughout an LOI. And then, like you said, we get into the nitty gritty and we're just, you know, painfully going through these documents looking for um, exposure, you know, long-term exposure, something they represented to be true that may not have been, you know, true or just some overstatement. Like we want to make sure the doctor is totally protected 
And, and of course that like they're in a good position that the deal terms that we went over in the LOI are actually articulated in the contract. Cause a lot of times things change ironically between those two, and it may not be that there's any ill will, but you know, a lot of folks, I don't know, their lawyers can over lawyer things rather easily. We're not fans of that. We try to like make it pretty black and white that this is the goal. And this is what was in the LOI and constantly just communicating with the doctor. Cause I feel like one of the biggest complaints about attorneys is, you know, I can't get a hold of them and I don't know what's happening. So it's just constantly communicating with them. Like, here's where we're at right now. Um, we're working through the fine print, you know, back and forth with them. And it's, it is, like I said, it's a very collaborative effort. Um, but man, you spend a lot of hours reading and drafting and, and, uh, all the things to make sure they're in a good position. For sure. And so how do you work hand in hand with the broker? So the brokers, like I said, sometimes, uh, they'll come to us and the deals kind of, you know, package and there's an LOI that's executed. I always tell our broker like partners, Hey, if you can bring us in before we sign, just to put eyes on things before we sign the LOI, that's helpful. Um, I'm our goal. My goal is absolutely not to be a deal killer. You know, it's to, to put certainly like a realistic lens on things and make sure we're looking for things that might be overlooked, you know, in the initial LOI phase, but definitely not to overlawyer anything either. But, but really again, that, that whole partner concept, I hate to like harp on it, but I mean, I don't, I want the, I want the broker has a relationship. I don't want to come in and stir things up and make it difficult. I don't want to put them in a bad spot. I don't want to put the doctor in a bad spot. I just want to make sure we protect everybody, uh, you know, but have a successful transaction and hopefully set these guys up for, you know, for a great, you know, opportunity post-transaction. So as a guy who built basically a mini DSO and you sold it to private equity, and I've seen some dentists decide to go down that road to build, you know, a large group practice versus selling to a DSO, do you feel like some doctors are missing the boat by not taking advantage of that? Or do you feel like a lot of them just don't have that skill set because not everyone does? To build out the DSO, like kind of the mini DSO? Yeah. Um, it's, it's also quite a lot of work that they may not be wanting to do at that point in their career. Yeah. And I think it's tough. I think there's there's so, I think I probably minimize, you know, some of what goes into it. But they're treating too, right? That's one of the, they're, they're in the operatory and they're working and building a business of any kind, you know, is is tough. And now you figure the majority of your day is spent actually treating patients. Okay, now I got to do my chart notes, you know, and I go, I got my front desk left. I have to replace that person. And, you know, I think a lot of them have this hope and dream of building a DSO, of building their own kind of multi-location empire but there's a lot that goes into it beyond you know working in the operatory that i i think it's just hard to get there so I, that's why i think a lot of our clients come to us because they they want to be a part of something bigger they want to kind of keep it growing certainly want to cash out a little bit too um and and that's why they kind of make the decision to sell yeah it's definitely i think it's a unique skill set that not everyone has and you need to align yourself with the right people the right partners to do that the right way and so it's definitely an interesting, interesting thing. So, so how, how will people, if people are interested in, in engaging you, how do they get in touch with you? You know, we're all over the, the web, right? And and uh, try to be out in the forefront of this industry, um, conferences and all that good stuff. But certainly, our 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 website's a good place to go, martilawgroup.com. That's m r t i lawgroup.com. Yep, m m a r t i lawgroup.com. Um, by email, justin at 
martilawgroup.com. And certainly, again, all over LinkedIn and all the places that we need to be, you can generally find us. Well, a good lawyer is worth their weight in gold. A bad one is like an abscess. So uh, so uh, I, I would highly encourage you guys to to have a conversation with Justin. It, it's It's a fascinating conversation. You have a really unique story, Justin. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com. Ross Brandon is a registered representative of Coastal Equities, Inc., and investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc., and securities are offered through Coastal Equities, Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC, 1201 North Orange Street, Suite 729, Wilmington, Delaware, 19801. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>